0: as Pastor Chris said, inside your uh, bulletin this morning, you'll see more details about our Campus Accelerator Fund. You'll see more details about our Downriver campus. And so please pray and ask the Lord if there would be a gift above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings that he would lead you to kind of support continuing the mission um, and being uh, part of establishing these lighthouses in all sorts of different types of communities all across Metro Detroit. Uh, Woodside doesn't stop Uh, we don't take a break really we continue on even if you may not see it There are things happening all across all of our campuses, and we just are so thankful for you, that you are part of that, and we're so thankful uh, to God that he has chosen uh, to use Woodside for his kingdom purposes all across this metro area. So um, welcome this morning. Uh, Again, if you're online, welcome to you as well. It's kind of a rainy start, right? We're in Michigan. We can have beautiful weather, and then it rains, and then we'll have beautiful weather again. So we can all have some hope that maybe by the time we're done today that we'll walk Outside and the sun will be shining, fingers crossed, right? Um, or it could just be raining, dreary, and we'll deal with that. Uh, even so, um, but again, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm get, I get to continue us in our series in our study. In the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, uh, put your finger there. If you don't know where the book of Ecclesiastes is, look in there. There's something called a table of contents in the front of your Bible. You can look for that. It has a page number. You can look for the pages, or if you're on your mobile device, use your mobile device as well to help you find that, um, to find that book. Uh, Ecclesiastes, though, it's one of those books that, as you've heard over the last few weeks, Um, It's a very unique uh, book. It's written kind of in a poetry form, and really uh, what we see in this book is not necessarily uh, direct details on how you were meant to live your life as a Christ follower. Instead, what we see is this introspective, retrospective, this investigation of the writer's own life, and kind of all themed under this umbrella of what is the meaning and purpose of life. Um, many of us believe that the book is written by King Solomon. Uh, he wrote many of our. He wrote two other books: Proverbs and Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, depending on your translation. Uh, and what we see is he kind of guides his audience and the listeners in kind of this investigation of the pursuit of the meaning of life. And we have the benefit to be able to look at it now in context of the entire scriptures and ask ourselves the question, what is the meaning of life? And how can we, as Christ followers, pursue this meaning of life that we see God lay out all, th- all from Genesis all the way through Revelation? And how can we understand it and embrace it as we engage in a world that throws so many different, we'll use the word isms, so many different isms at us. First week, we talked about naturalism and how just creation in and of itself. Last week, we talked about intellectualism and this pursuit of uh, is there anything good in this pursuit of intellectualism? Today, we're going to talk about a really fun word, but before we jump in, let me pray uh, and just ask the Lord to be uh, with all of you here and also with me because I need prayer too. So let's pray real quick. Father, Uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it as um, a source of direction, as a source of life. We thank you that we have the ability to read it and decipher and and truly understand more of who you are the more that we study it, the more that we meditate on it, the more that we're in it. Father, help us to be students of your word. Help us to be faithful followers of you, and Father, right now as we dive into this and we talk about... um, This topic that really, Lord, I think affects so many of us without us even knowing that Father, we'd be willing to listen to your spirit, that uh, Holy Spirit, you would speak clearly to us, and Father, that you would show us how to glorify you, how to say thank you to you, and God, how to repent of things in our life and turn our eyes and our hearts towards you. Father, would you be with us? Give us the words uh, to hear and help us to understand clearly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, so uh, we're continuing in this series now. The 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 fun fancy word. All right, I'm going to throw out there hedonism. All right, everybody say hedonism. Now I don't know what kind of emotional response you get when you hear that word, but I would venture to say there's probably a couple different responses that you have. Maybe you get a little squeamish when you hear that word hedonism. Maybe in your mind, you have this portrayal of what a hedonist or hedonism really looks like. Uh, Maybe for you, you're like, yeah, I love hedonism. It's a great thing. Uh, Wherever you're at today, I want you to understand that our culture thrives on a hedonistic outlook of life. And for many of us, we ourselves, the way that we live our lives reflects that as well, whether we're aware of it or not. In this hedonistic life, it's kind of a lifestyle choice. To to be a hedonist is to pursue pleasure, to pursue happiness at all costs. That means everything in your life that you pursue, you want to make sure that you're happy, you want to make sure that life is fun, and you want to make sure that things are enjoyable and pleasurable, and you're going to do anything and everything you can in order to maintain kind of that status quo. Now, I think it's probably fairly easy for us to kind of look at culture and say, okay, it's easy for us to see in them, in culture, how this hedonistic lifestyle plays out. But how often do we really step back and reflect on our own life? If you're a follower of Jesus, what does hedonism look like in your life as you pursue Jesus? Jesus. You know, there's a new term that uh, every every year, new terms get added to the dictionary. And there's one that's really fun. Uh, if maybe you feel like you don't quite know the hip lingo that uh, young people use, I'm going to give you one for free today. It's called FOMO. Everybody say FOMO. You guys are learning so many great words today at church. You should be excited. Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. This phenomenon of uh, people have this Real fear that they're going to miss out on something that somebody else is doing, right? Where do we get this FOMO? Where do we get this uh, fear and we get this comparison? Where does it really come out in? I think the easy answer is social media, right? You look at social media and you see what other people do. You see what other people have done and you begin to kind of evaluate yourself and say, well, I want to do that. I want to go out on the lake. I want to go camping. I want to go on this trip. I want, to, I want a spouse like this or that. I want to have this. I want to have that. And we, whether we're conscious of it or not, the more and more that we kind of swipe and the more that we're just kind of, you know, the mindless, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just looking through Facebook or Instagram, the more and more that this kind of expectation starts to come upon us. We see people enjoying life. We see people having all of these adventures. And really what we're doing is we're seeing this perception of happiness. And for us, I think we want to kind of mimic that, right? We want to experience that too. Oh, look, they went to Disney. I can do that too. We could probably afford that, right? Our culture kind of creates this misconception of what a life full of pleasures really looks like and how to really attain that. And oftentimes we have some misconceptions when it comes to the way that God views pleasure and the way that God views your pursuit of happiness. But let's go back to culture here and this kind of camp out here for a minute. How else, is, uh, how else does our culture kind of embrace this hedonistic lifestyle, right? You look at it in the sense of marketing, okay? I don't know if you know this, but if you buy this product, your life will be happy. If you buy this potato slicer, your life is gonna be happy. If you buy this Flex Seal, your whole life is gonna be happy because it's gonna stop your roof from leaking when it's uh, you know, just torrential rain, right? Marketing gleans itself and it leans into how can we promote this product or thing or situation in order to get the audience to say, oh, I need that to be happy. I need that to be happy. If I have that new phone, my life is gonna be so much different. It's gonna have rounder edges and it's gonna be easier to slide in my back pocket, right? Marketing, it's just constant, over and over and over and over again. You need this, you need to purchase this, you need to have this. That's just in marketing. How else does culture kind of perpetuate this, right? Credit cards. When you have a credit card, guess what a credit card kind of promises you? You can have this life over here too. Just put it on credit and you can live your life to the fullest and then we'll come back and then we'll ask for our money back from you and we'll do it at 20 30 40 50% interest because you failed to <laughs> repay what it is that you took out on credit. Right? Credit cards, that's that's the disillusionment of credit is that hey, I can have temporary satisfaction and temporary happiness because I know in the end I'll eventually pay it off because they're telling me, "Hey, here's your really clear credit card payment plan you can do." Right? What else? Political agendas right? Let's touch on some touchy subjects here, right? Political agendas oftentimes base themselves on how do I appease the crowd? I was about to say mob, and I don't really want to go there today, but how do I appease the crowd so that they'll vote for me? How do I uh, present things and position things in order to say, hey, if you vote me into whatever office it is that the person's running for, if you vote me in, I'm going to make sure that your life is happy. I want to make sure that your life is content. And again, we've already talked about social media and we've talked about how we, we have these highlight reels or the perceived highlight reels of, wow, their life is so good. I want to have the job that they have. I want to be able to do the things that they, that they do because I don't get to do those things right now. And if I just do what they do, then maybe, maybe I'll have some of that happiness too. And I don't know if you know this, but you know that culture also looks at Christianity, looks at Christians, looks at you if you're a follower of Jesus, and oftentimes says, Whatever, dude, y'all are lame. Christians are lame. I got no response today from that one, right? <laughs> Hopefully you feel a little bit of like, oh, Don't say that about me, right? But Christians oftentimes come off as lame in comparison to the world. Because the world looks at us and says, You guys don't do all this fun stuff. You guys don't pursue pleasures. You have all of these things in front of you, but yet you say no to that. Why would you do that? Y'all are lame. I'm trying to think through all these different examples. I don't want to offend anybody today, so I'll just skip over that, right? But oftentimes we've kind of created this idea in this perceived subculture that says, hey, you should come to church, you should come follow Jesus, let me tell you about him, because if you don't, you're going to die and go to hell for all eternity. Come over here, and you can wear our bracelets and our clothes, we have our own radio stations, we like to go to uh, Jesus Chicken, this Chick-fil-A, bless you, right, and do all these things, and you know, the world looks at it and says, man, y'all are lame, because the world looks at things in life, they look at pleasures in life, and they say, Hey, we're going to pursue all of these things without, without any restraint, without any boundaries, without any context. And we're going to do it all because we find pleasure and happiness and contentment and what we think is fulfillment as we pursue after those things. Here's another hard question for you. Did you know that God is good? Did you know that God is good? This is the profound big idea for today. God is good. Did you know that God created all things? Did you know that God knows what pleasure actually is? Do you know that God actually knows what happiness is? Do you know that God knows what joy is? Did you know that you are made in his image? So the pursuit of pleasure and happiness and joy and satisfaction are all emotions that God has experienced himself. And I think sometimes we kind of forget that. We think, oh, well, that's going to be way too much fun. I can't do that because I'm a Christian, and I look a certain way, and I appear a certain way, and I don't do certain things because the way that I look on the outside is what really matters. And we kind of give ourselves this false identity and this false perspective of, can you be a Christ follower, and can you pursue pleasure? Let me ask you some more questions. Did you know that God wants you to eat porterhouses that are medium and that have the little garlic butter on the top? (laughs) Do you know that he wants you to eat that? Do you know that God wants you to enjoy drink or drinks? He wants you to enjoy them. Okay. Did you know that God wants you to enjoy hobbies, things that fill your time and bring you uh, satisfaction and happiness and puts a smile on your face? Maybe it helps you like, decompress. God wants you to have a hobby. He wants you to enjoy those things. Did you know that he also wants you to provide the means necessary for your family, for you? And he also wants you to be able to provide for other people. It's okay to make money. That's okay. Okay. It's okay if you have money. It's okay if you don't have money. All of these things God has created for you to enjoy. The other big thing, right? Did you know, this is a big one, did you know that God created sex? (laughs) Wow. I'm just going to walk off now, right? (laughs) There were three dudes that said amen. Right? But. God wants you to enjoy sex because he created it in all of these things. He's created them and he's given us guardrails and he's given us direction on how to enjoy these things, on how to embrace these things, on how to pursue these things in our life. And again, the world looks at the guardrails and says, I don't need that. That doesn't sound like any fun. I don't want to limit myself in these different things right? And God says, no, 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 no. listen, these are really great things, but in the appropriate context. Sex, inside of marriage, right? Food and drink, so long as it doesn't lead you to a place of gluttony and drunkenness, right? Money, so long as it doesn't become your idol or your God and you've become overwhelmed with greed. All of these things we can enjoy as Christians, we can live really fun-filled lives so long as we do it in the context of what God lays out in his scriptures. And oftentimes what the world sees, they see the rules and they say, I don't want any of that. I don't want to have any boundaries. I want to do whatever it is I want to do. And oftentimes what they find is that their pleasures become so short-lived. Why is it that pleasures are so short-lived? I want to remind us of what Jesus does in his ministry. He was talking to everybody, he was saying, hey, you are so focused on the external. You are so focused on looking right. You're so focused on being right in the appearance of other people, but you've missed the main issue. And the main issue is the condition of your heart. All throughout Jesus' ministries, you can go and read, you can go and study. He always brings it back to, What is the condition of your heart? And what is it that your heart shows me about you? So when it comes to money or sex or even pleasure as an umbrella, are you simply looking for the external experiences or do you see everything in the context of really, what's the drive in my heart about this? What is it that's kind of moving me forward? For a believer, whose heart is kind of positioned to say, whatever I experience in my life, Lord, may it honor you. Whatever I go through, whatever I eat or drink, I'll do in thanksgiving to God. Whatever I experience, I'll recognize the hand from which it was created, and I'll give thanks. And I'll do so with happiness and joy, and I'll look to him and say, thank you, Lord, for this. For believers, we don't place our purpose and meaning in those life experiences or on those external things, but rather we place our purpose and meaning to the one who created all those things, and we say, God, from you all good things have come, and I choose to thank you, to glorify you, to follow you in the ways that you say I can enjoy these things. And that is why for a believer, pleasure doesn't have to be short-lived. But for a watching world, they look at it and they say, I don't want any of that. I want to keep doing all of these things because I know that I can find my own meaning and my own purpose as I pursue these pleasures. That was a really long intro, but I felt like we needed to really get ourselves in the mind frame to understand what we're about to read here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So let's go ahead and turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Listen to what it says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. This is Solomon talking about himself, okay? Saying, I'm going to test myself now with pleasure, and I'm going to enjoy myself. But behold, this was all vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart, How to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Let's pause right here before we keep going. What Solomon is doing is, think about an experiment, right? He has this hypothesis. He has this thing that he wants to try to answer. I'm going to try to find this meaning of life. and The way I'm going to do it is I'm I'm going to pursue pleasure. And here, that's his hypothesis. And then what he begins to do from verses 3 all the way down to verse 7 or 8 is he gives us kind of his resume of all of the things that the man did in this pursuit of pleasure. We're going to walk through all of these kind of quickly, all right? Here we go. So we've already talked about verse 3 of how he chose uh, his heart. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. So he's pursuing drink, right? Uh, I made great works. Verse 4, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Verse 5, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Verse 6, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in jerusalem i also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces i got singers both men and women and many concubines the delight of the sons of man talk about a resume a resume of an individual of a man who pursued above all else to obtain all of these things i think solomon probably had a lot of pleasures in life Right? We could go through each individual one and try to compare and contrast what it looks like today in our world. But I think you can kind of sum it up in three categories or three buckets. The first bucket is all of the things that he created and made for himself. Notice that in all of the text. I made for myself. I built for myself. I did this for myself. It wasn't, he wasn't trying to be filling, I can't say that word this morning, he wasn't trying to bless other people in his nation, right, with what he created. It was all about him. I'm going to create all these things, it's going to be really great. And then he goes on, the other bucket, the second bucket that he has is the pursuit of wealth, okay, the pursuit of wealth. When you start to like really dig deep into Solomon's life, Many uh, scholars and theologians, they don't even try to equate modern-day wealth to what Solomon had because the number would be astronomical. We're talking trillions upon trillions of dollars. If you look in Second Kings, you'll see some more description of the way that Solomon's wealth and his assets kind of played out. He even had a cup of gold, not like gold-plated or like you know gold inlay. It was an actual cup of gold. And that's what he would drink his wine out of. That's a little eccentric, if you ask me, right? But he, he just had all of this money and all of this wealth, and yet he still finds it all as vain. And then you go on, you go to the last part, and you see that um, the pursuit of gratifying his flesh, okay? Being able to gratify the desires of his flesh. I don't know if you know what concubines are. If you need help, look it up on a dictionary, okay? But to have a a harem, to have a group of people that you could go to at any time that you wanted and say, I'm in need, I'm going to go to my concubines and pick which one for today. The guy had a life of pleasure, It's okay if in your mind you're like, well, that may be kind of nice to have some of those things. Did anybody think that, or is it just me? Okay, it's just me. All right, I told you I need prayer. So Solomon has this huge pursuit of pleasure in his life. And yet, what we'll find out later is again, he says, all of this was in vain. All of it was in vain how well do we examine our life just like solomon's doing here we assume he's at the end of his life and he's looking back how well do we do that in the here and now not when we wait for our deathbed not when we're in the nursing home not when we're just kind of waiting around for our moment to come but how do we right now today in this moment maybe today over lunch how well do we examine our life and put meaning of a, life, meaning of our life, into all of these things that we pursue, these pleasures of the world that we pursue. Sure, you may, you know, you may try to dress it up and say, well, I do all this. You know, I'm a Christ follower. I don't do the really bad stuff. I just do some of those things, but nothing I really need to pray and ask for forgiveness for. How well do we really reflect? How well do we really examine? How well do we really take account of all of the things that we have in our life And do we ask ourselves, do I need to do that? Do I need to pursue that? Do I need to have more of this? Do I need to sacrifice relationships with my family in order to get this stuff over here? Do I need to sacrifice a relationship with my God in order to get these things over here? Do I need to sacrifice my involvement in my church in order to go and get these things over here? How well do we examine ourselves? And how well do we frame these pursuits of pleasure? How well do we frame them and keep them in their appropriate context? Listen to what Jesus says about some of this. This is from Matthew chapter 16. Listen to what he says. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? If you don't know where your heart is, look at all the things that you have and all the pursuits of pleasure that you have in your life and ask yourself, is my heart positioned to look at God and say, whatever it is that you decide for me, I'm going to follow you? Or is the position of your heart saying, whatever I feel like is good and okay and Christianese enough, I'm going to pursue that. What is the condition of your heart? Jesus says this in Luke 12. He says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, Jesus here is talking specifically about possessions and material things, but I think it applies also with this hedonistic lifestyle and culture. Don't have covetousness in your heart because that's what drives you to go and pursue all these different things. Again, Jesus brings things back to the issues of our hearts. And these pleasures, these pursuits, ultimately they don't bring us satisfaction. They don't bring us fulfillment. They don't bring us this sense of meaning and purpose, but rather they often lead to a place of discontentment and a sense of lacking and needing it more and more. Let me go on a little rabbit trail real quick. Uh, You guys have probably heard this before, and we pick on social media a lot, but it's probably because social media is such a pervasive thing in our culture, right? Do you know that in your brain you have something called neurochemistry, right? And the neurochemistry in your brain responds to the things that you see, the things that you hear, the things that you do. And social media has learned the art of what's called dopamine hits, so when you see something, or something excites your mind, or something makes you laugh, or something intrigues you, it you get a dopamine hit, and it creates this sensation in your mind that says, you need to keep looking. You need to keep exploring. You need to keep diving down into here. Because marketing companies, social media companies, have learned how to basically uh, uh, in lack of better words, they've learned how to guide your mind where they want you to go. It's a little scary when you really dig into it. But they've learned this art of, how do we really get this product to sell or we get this image or this lifestyle to sell? We we know how to do it. Watch us do it, right? These dopamine hits become kind of addictive for us where we're like, I gotta go and have that. I gotta go experience that thing again because it's a great experience, and the only way I can do that is going through this different media or platform. So let's jump back to really what we're talking about today. So when we have all of this, all these things in the world kind of against you and trying to drive you to this place where you embrace a hedonistic lifestyle, how do we combat that, and how do we navigate through a world that simply says, you just need to pursue pleasure in life and everything will be fine? Right? We've got to keep in our mind and in our heart that God is a well that never runs dry. God is a well that never runs dry. We can go to him at all times with all things, and we can find our purpose and meaning from him. I'm going to give you a couple different verses. Maybe you want to jot them down in your notes or save them on your phone for later, but listen to some of these verses that kind of talk about this, uh, this principle and this truth. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 107, verse 9, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 8, verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's okay to have pleasures in life. It's okay to pursue pleasures in life. But we do so by recognizing the guardrails that God gives to us, and we do so by recognizing that he is the creator of all of those things. And he wants you to experience it. He wants you to have it, but in the appropriate context and the appropriate frame. The Apostle Paul, his ministry was planning churches and then helping churches continue on and to be faithful in their doctrine and their teaching of who Jesus was. He wanted to make sure that churches knew, that churches operated appropriately, and he addressed many issues in the churches, and that's what we have most of the New Testament about. And for the church in Rome, what he saw and recognized and heard about this church in Rome is that some of the people began to stray quite severely. And listen to what he says. This is from Romans chapter 1 verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. What a scary thing to think about. Paul's talking in general about humanity in this part right here. But I think for many of us Christians, I think we need to kind of take a moment, take a step back and reevaluate why am I doing all the things I'm doing? Why am I willing to do all these things I'm willing to do? Am I doing it in such a way where I'm glorifying and worshiping the creature? Or am I glorifying and worshiping the creator by what I do? Let's jump back to Solomon and let's see how he kind of concludes his own experiment, kind of his own uh, retrospection. He said, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. Then, this is a key word, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. For followers of Jesus, let's take a page from Solomon's book and let's recognize that the pleasures of life will never be as fulfilling as you think they will be. Recognize that the meaning of life is not for you to pursue pleasure, it's not for you to experience pleasure. And as we continue through the series in this book, you're going to hear from Solomon really what the meaning and the purpose of life should be all about. And here's kind of a preview or kind of a spoiler alert that you can take even from the Apostle Paul. Listen to this. This is Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you have a relationship with Jesus, where he literally is sitting on the throne of your heart and he's the focus of your life, what he says for you to do, how he leads you, how he corrects you, how he trains you up, when those things you're willing to listen to him and you're willing to submit your life to him, then you can truly experience the pleasures of life that we have around us in a way where it is honoring to God, in a way where we're able to give thanksgiving and praise to God, in a way where you're able to experience those things and show a watching world that God is good, and show a watching world that you can enjoy pleasures in life. However, they are not the purpose and meaning of life. They're kind of the icing on the cake. So for us, is knowing Jesus truly that inspiring is knowing jesus truly something that surpasses all other things in our life is being obedient to him and following him and and listening to what his word has to say is it truly the thing that controls our life or do we just kind of keep him in our shirt pocket and just pull him out whenever we're in need or in pain or sickness all right we're all good now i'm going to put you back in You can have a life of pleasure and joy and happiness and fulfillment, but you can only have that when it starts from the position of your heart where Jesus is the ruler of your life, where Jesus is your Savior, and where Jesus truly is the guiding direction and the guiding point in your life. For Solomon, he wants the people to hear and understand, I've attained everything. I had every pleasure imaginable. And yet all of it was in vanity because none of it really brought me what it is that my heart truly wanted. There are people watching you right now. There are people watching you this week at work. There's people watching you in your neighborhood who know that you're a Christ follower. What are you showing to them? Are you showing them that you can be, in Christ, that you can be a Christian and still do all of these other things over here and you just get a free pass out of hell card at the end of your life? Or do people watch you and say, wow, they enjoy all the same things that I do, but yet they go about it in such a different way? What is this Christian life really all about? And how can I know how to have that relationship? And maybe God will use you to help invite somebody new into the family of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and for... Just the fact, God, that you desire to lavish us with gifts, that you desire to lavish us with pleasures in this world, but, God, you do so in a way that doesn't glorify us, doesn't glorify the experience, but, God, rather it glorifies you. Father, help us. Help us to be men and women who, above all else, above all other things in this world, that we pursue knowing you. And that from that, we have that icing on the cake where life is full of where we are satisfied because of you and we have contentment because of you. Father, we need your help as we constantly navigate this world, as our kids are growing up in this type of world. God, we want to be a people who, yes, are markedly different because of our relationship with you. Not because we look so different on the outside, but God, ultimately that our hearts are so different. Father, we need a revival in our hearts. We need revival in our churches. We need a revival in the way that we truly invest and invite people into this relationship with you. Would you show us how to do that? Would you give us the strength and the vision to see those opportunities? And God, would you remind us still what the true meaning and purpose of life is all about? Speak to the people here this morning, Holy Spirit, Show them the areas that maybe they need to repent of. And show them in your mercy what the next step looks like. We need you. We're ready to listen to you. Help us to follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we close out our service in in worship, I want you to really listen to and watch the lyrics of the song as you sing them. Maybe you just need to be silent and focus on the words, but I want to encourage you, let's t- turn our hearts and our minds towards Jesus and to see that he truly is the fulfillment of all things. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.